Hello and welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. I am Beth Shank, host of the podcast, which focuses on nurses around the world working at the intersection of health and environment. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Jessica Kastner, researcher, business owner, distinguished scholar in residence, and more. Please enjoy our fascinating conversation. Well, welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. I'm really pleased today to bring a guest back who I interviewed a few years ago, Dr. Jessica Kastner. Dr. Kastner, welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. Beth, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here with you again. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, tell us a little bit about, about your your background, how you'd like to introduce yourself. We have so much to cover today because you've been really busy. And thanks to many wonderful collaborations with colleagues like you. Uh, so my name is Jessica Kastner. I'm the president and principal of Kastner Incorporated, which is a research institute. It's my woman-owned small business. I'm also this year's National Academy of Medicine Distinguished Nurse Scholar in Residence, uh, which is what I understand we're going to talk about today. Well, I hope to cover all sorts of stuff, but yes, I certainly want to talk about that. Um, tell me, let me back up a little bit though. Tell us a little bit more about your business, about Kastner uh, Incorporated. Of course. So this is my second startup business. Uh, my first being a consulting company. When I was working on my master's and my master's had a public health nursing focus, I, I learned quite a bit of epidemiology. And in that process, I, I felt bilingual in that I could speak stats and do statistics, and I could speak nurse and understand deeply nursing problems. So quite a bit of the purpose of that original business uh, was to partner with hospital systems and healthcare systems on the magnet journey and offered method expertise and, and publishing expertise to these incredible nursing teams as they devised innovation. And they needed some method support as to how to test that innovation or how to dig into data to make data-informed decisions. So it was both to describe the problems that they, they intuited or they understood from their practice using the data or to test the solutions they were attempting um, and to move forward in that way. So it gave the scholarly support that very similar to what many neuroscientists do in, in health systems today. So that was, that was a, an initial business. My current business then, very similarly, uh, and I'm happy to share the website, we do have um, several service streams, um, one being epidemiology and analytics, do quite a bit of data analytics. Um, we do support for clinical research studies, although with the pandemic, quite a bit of that did end up pivoting to public health and data analytics. As, as many did who were in that space. It's just a original data collection took either a COVID focus or quite a bit of it went on hold. We also do organizational development and change and leadership consulting, as well as scientific dissemination and publication support. And, and I've always found the research aspect of scholarship to be really a joy and, and to provide such insights whether that's 
in, in working to make leadership decisions in an organization or policy decisions for the nation. Those data-informed decisions of well-designed research and, and science are just crucial. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I was, you may know, I was a nurse scientist for about seven years leading nursing research in our large health system. And what's what was fascinating then, and I'm still on the uh, low-risk IRB panel, for our, our health uh, organization. So I read a lot of studies that come in. I just love the breadth of the questions. And it's such a such a lab, you know, healthcare is such a lab to be able to study from, oh, such a range and in such depth and with access to real patient data or to, as you say, organizational change, which is one of my interests. So I, I can feel your excitement about that. I think it's, it's terrific. And also to uh, stimulate and, um, um, fan the flames sort of, of the, of the inquiring mind in nursing. I think it's really, uh, nurses bring a lot to, to research questions. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about your distinguished, uh, scholar in residence role for the National Academy of Medicine. Tell me about that. Yes. So I'll, I'll tell you what initially brought me to Washington DC on this role. Uh, so like you, I'm a member of the American Academy of Nursing, and at their annual conference was so inspired to hear the alum of this program. There's one a year. Um, I am the 21st, so I guess we could jokingly say that I'm officially bringing the program to full adulthood yeah. um, in its 21st year. So, um, but in, in meeting with some of the distinguished nurse scholars who had been through the program in the past, Again, I was truly inspired. Um, Tenor Goodwin Venema is, is just the go-to expert for disaster nursing and wrote the definitive book in the field for disaster nursing. Um, had run into Ashley Darcy Mahoney, um, who did so much work on, on child development and on the future of nursing report. And you know, I could certainly go on about all of the wonderful alum that I had met that truly inspired me um, in the impact that they had and the scholarly and, and really nonpartisan way by which they tackled these, these national policy issues. Mm -hmm. So I had put it in the back of my mind that this would be an opportunity at some point that, that I should throw my, my hat in the ring for. And then in January of 2021, the, the presidential administration created the executive order for climate change and equity. And that really drew me. I had done a lot of work on the community and population level, looking at particularly air pollutants and emergency outcomes, but it had also worked with communities who were overburdened by pollution, who were at risk for disasters with climate change and had such a deep clinical understanding as a board certified emergency nurse as to what that meant for people's lives um, and how those disasters absolutely transformed one's quality of life, uh, one's morbidity and one's mortality. It just felt so compelled that I needed to be there with a seat at the table, um, given that scientific expertise and, and to join the symphony of all, of all of the voices really addressing climate change, environmental health, and in my case, those emergency health outcomes, but the long-term health outcomes as well. So um, I reached out to alumni of the program, crafted an application, and was 
truly honored to learn that I had been selected um, to go to Washington, D.C. for the year, be embedded at the National Academies and, you know, both learn all I could, but work on the scholarly projects in, in the work streams at the academies. So during that time, uh, there is there were several projects and stepped in at a wonderful opportunity to really cross pollinate ideas across projects. There have been threads of my work on um, healthy work environments that really fit nicely with some clinician well-being. Um, and simply the workforces, disaster preparedness and disaster readiness coming out of the pandemic and what we need to learn for all hazards moving forward. As well as, uh, as you know, working with the decarbonizing the health sector and looking to reduce that carbon footprint of of our own health systems. Um, and uh, among several other, I've done some, some digital health. One of the really important solutions to decarbonizing the health sector is to look to telehealth. Um, and you know, hospitals without walls, how much can we do through digital health and how can we advance that work? So those are several examples. But what was really exciting too was to be able to pitch a 30th anniversary update of the, the consensus study that came out from the IOM in 1995. And it was called Nursing Health in the Environment. And this report came out as I'm graduating from nursing school, as I'm going through and graduating from nursing school. And the impact that report had truly gave me a blueprint for my career. And it shaped the structures around me to be a successful environmental health nurse specialist. And so to witness that impact, to see how it supported the creation of professional organizations, um, to see how it created uh, our scope of an understanding of a scope of practice that goes well beyond that individual level, um, and that we truly do have a multi-level practice that focuses on the community, that focuses on policy. Uh, certainly, those threads had always been in nursing, but for me, that report truly cemented where I could go as a nurse and it reinforced environmental health is my duty. Um, as, a, as a registered professional nurse, this is my duty. So we have entirely new health systems and financing systems and way of organizing all that we do 30 years later, as well as entirely new environmental health threats. Uh, you know, climate change, of course, being the, the most pressing and the largest in scope, but even things like like PFOS in the drinking water and what that means for health. So I, it was a really timely and really important to propose an update of that particular consensus study. And so focused a lot of efforts there on, on proposing that idea as well. And was that accepted? Is that a, going to happen? It is ongoing. Yeah, okay. um, I can tell you with confidence, it has had impact in measurable and immeasurable ways mm -hmm. um, to commit to that effort. Uh, we It would be lovely to see it turn mm -hmm. into a deliverable, um, like a consensus study. Yeah. Uh, so that is in process. Uh, but even in to watch the impact, and again, to contribute and lead as part of this symphony of efforts right now, you know, as I was in Washington, DC, the American Nurses Association 
passed a resolution on climate change and health. So recommitted incredible attention to that as, as one of the four main things that they had passed here in 2022. The American Medical Association passed a resolution that they viewed climate change as a public health crisis. And to see that kind of coordinated understanding of the science and translation of the science into the health professions, um, I, to know that policymakers pay attention to that and where healthcare providers put our priority because of that deep understanding of how it affects patients and human health. So, and even this last week, some of the incredible policy that's passed um, in the Senate, um, and to notice how informed that is by the science, um, it, it just gives the ability to note there is incredible impact in continuing this work and proposing such work, so. Yeah, well, well, very well done. I know that you had uh, in a lot of influence yourself, and I, and I like to think that um, nurses across the years have uh, had that influence. I know that physicians and pharmacists and other disciplines have. It's really um, satisfying, I would say, for, for me personally to see this coalescence, this coming together from the NOM collaborative to the HHS pledge to our, our commitments at COP to um, the whole OCHI office to Admiral Levine's commitments and Dr. Balbus. It's a uh, sometimes it seems to move as slow as snails and turtles, but then sure enough, you look and wow, you can really see the progress. So, you know, I'm always up against against the, the fact that our uh, climate crisis is also escalating so quickly that the areas that you've mentioned, particularly disaster preparedness um, and and many, many of the others um, from decarbonizing and helping transform healthcare, but also being able to respond. You know, we see what's just been happening this summer, and um, there's there's a lot to be done to make sure that we can deliver care. So thank you for all that you're doing. It's really important. Well, likewise, and I, it reminds me of I think a very telling story for this particular audience, in that. We give science talks often and we give talks to inform policy. And I had had the privilege of attending you know, multiple global experts, um, this incredible coming together of experts from the United Kingdom as to how they're transforming their health system um, and decarbonizing the, their health system with the most brilliant minds in the United States working on this. Um, and, and to attend that convening and to share these ideas and, and to motivate the work that many are doing every day. But what really struck me was how crucial that nursing lens is in, in informing policy. So as you know, often as a talk on the topic will start with the graph of atmospheric carbon dioxide, or it will start with a time series of surface temperature of the earth. That's crucial and that's important, but my science starts with human health and investigates it from that lens of human health and the environment as one of many social determinants of health and, and a crucial one. And so often this can mean too that as you know in our science, it's really hard to pull apart environmental influences from the social influences 
because we've had in this country issues with redlining. So we have particular demographics and particular identities that are so much more at risk to be vulnerable to these impacts. And to see that as a nurse, but you know, I start my talk with a baby born today. I don't start with the graphs of the atmosphere and the time series of the temperature. That is crucial and that is important, but that's often where healthcare starts and that where, that's where a nurse starts. And to communicate these climate models in the story of a human being born today, that these predictions, aren't way off in the future, the predictions that we're trying to decarbonize right now are based on when that baby born today is going to be 78 years old. That's one lifetime where we're talking about potential on the, on the high end of the model, extreme disaster, massive migration and conflict and potential of human health. And if we do something today and, and if we really match those targets and motivate the policies, we're not going to go back to where we were 200 years ago, but in that baby's lifetime, we're still in that golden window in the next few years to stabilize the earth as we know it. And so I think that's one of the crucial components of, yes, we're bringing in our individual science and our colleague science who are working on the human health aspect and the quality of life aspect and all of the incredible science that nurses do. But to start with that lens of a picture of a baby born today creates such a different reach and, and such different engagement about the same climate models um, that one does when they start with, with the temperature time series. So I think it's so important to have a seat at the table and to communicate the science through that nursing lens because it has reach and, and it, it reaches people where they are and where they where I think they understand. So it's a great yeah. point. Yeah, absolutely. And emphasizing again that nurses are the most trusted voice. We speak the language. I think, you know, as you say, we're translators of complex theoretical knowledge and also what it means to daily life and daily care, symptoms, recovery, thriving. Hey, I want to back up to something you mentioned, and I want to, I would like you to describe it more, is which is the consensus study. Absolutely. Um, and so the way that this works is it's, um, we're often familiar with writing a grant or perhaps proposing a bid where your ideas are pretty formulated and set um, when you put them in. So the way that a consensus study is born at the National Academies is they are not allowed to compete um, because of how they were established and set up for federal agency funds. And so that creates a two-way communication. So the three ways that a consensus study is born or many of the products are born is one, it can be written into as a congressional mandate. So as part of legislation, there can actually be a statement of the National Academies will update you know, the 1995 study by title or the National Academies will study X or Y. And so that's really special and unique and part of how the National Academies was established back in the time of Lincoln um, is to carry out the science that's congressionally mandated. 
So that's one, way one of three. Um, the second way is if a, a federal agency or even a foundation or sponsor, again, approaches with an idea, and then that's worked out um, as to exactly how the idea would be carried out, and, and it creates then a grant, a bid, or a contract. And then the third way, um, which is the way that that I was working through is someone who's internal to the academy or even including there as in a visiting role as as I have been this year has the idea creates the pitch and then socializes it with funders and sponsors but until there's a contract set that's that's a two-way negotiation so what in this conversation one question I've been asked is are you are you open to this being health workers, health in the environment. And, you know, my answer is yes, absolutely. Um, that is certainly crucial. We're, we're looking at a global shortfall of 43 million health workers by 2030, just to meet basic primary care needs. So um, it's in, in post-pandemic and this, what they call an epidemic of exhaustion in the global healthcare workforce. It really is time to be innovative, um, to talk about everyone working to their full scope of practice. And right here in the States, in these environmental justice communities, I think to really take a serious look at a pathway for community health workers into nursing um, and it, how to create these, these new models of public health outreach and, and public health worker roles um, into a potential clinical role with, with additional education and training. So um, that is a long answer um, <laughs> to, to what the consensus study looks at, but I can also just give a very, very high level overview of the types of topics um, that, that is often considered. So it can be a needs assessment. It can be collating national priorities and implementation strategies. Um, to address environmental health nursing in the 21st century. It can be a comprehensive view of the current state of our relevant policy, regulation, and organizations. Um, you know, so for the, us, that would be the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, and quite a bit of the executive orders, and, and now coming legislation dealing with climate change. It can be the state of the discipline. Um, it can be what, what I was very interested in is a framework and guidance for continued national growth. And why I was really interested in focusing in that way is if I frame this as nursing health and pharmaceuticals, we have such a rapid understanding of the stakeholders, the practices, the competencies, the financing. It's, it's really baked into our DNA how pharmaceuticals are linked to nursing practice, education, research, and policy. Just a reminder that the number of healthy life years lost in the United States alone to modifiable environmental factors, things that we can modify and change is 11 million. So I just wanna say that again, this is a World Health Organization estimate. It removes tobacco consumption, which we know really overshadows a lot of environmental health type outcome. 11 million healthy life years are lost to, to things we can modify, things that are amenable to nursing and healthcare and public health interventions. And when they really look at the environmental attributed 
fraction of mortality in the United States pre-pandemic, we're talking about 11% of mortality, a little more than one in 10 deaths. Environmental interventions, just as crucial to health, are often a little more ephemeral or, or piecemeal in, in our discipline and in health work in general. And so this idea of what are those barriers? Why don't we have such a solid framework for how important the environment is um, compared to or in parallel to how important meds are? You know, Beth, I don't blink when a patient came in with 30 medications. And yet we kind of scoff at this idea of 30 environmental exposures are too complex to think about. We did one chemical at a time, but that's how we really live. Um, we have those exposures in our air, in our water, in our personal care products. Um, and we're making decisions every day as to how to lessen those exposures in the pesticides on our food, in the herbicides we might eat, in our hobbies. Uh, and so what a crucial moment in time to really step back and say, look, the environment impacts health. We need to have as solid of a framework as we do for, for to move beyond pills um, or in addition to pills. Um, so, and, and other topics and a consensus study might consider include potential roles for government, industry, and private foundations and academia, or what are those interdisciplinary activities? So does that answer your question? Yes, very interesting. And nice to see kind of how the sausage is made at the National Institutes of Health of yeah. Science and the National Academy. So um, I wanted to go back to a couple of things you said. Um, a while back, you made the distinction and the blurriness between environmental determinants of health and social determinants of health, partly because there's overlap in the vulnerabilities in the populations who are vulnerable and in the housing, et cetera. But a, a, a thing, a concept that has been troubling um, or, or, or I feel like it's been in the way of progress, I'll, I'll be so blunt as to say that, is the traditional um, expectation of, I should say the traditional placement of environment in our traditional social determinants of health because it is mostly the built environment, sometimes the neighborhood, but it doesn't allow us to really get to the planetary health issues that are now eclipsing, you know, much of our, our, our possibility of, of a healthy future, as you have indicated when you were talking about the baby born today who will be 78 at the turn of the century. And so we think of climate change. There's not really a way to fit that into a social determinant of health framework, except in terms of vulnerability. We think about microplastic exposures that we are now having in our blood. They've been in the air and the water and the soil for a while, but it's just been this year that they've been found in blood. Um, when we think about those sorts of global um, overwhelming issues, which is you know where I spend my time and you spend a lot of your time, how might you think of that in terms of a theoretical approach or a framework around the social and environmental determinants of health. I end up calling them out separately, but I don't think that's that's cumbersome as well. But otherwise it's easy to lose sight of one or the other. But what are your thoughts on that? I, I love that you're pulling this into what I would call a level of analysis. Um, and what I really appreciated is 
we have a common language because of that 1995 Institute of Medicine report about this being multi-level um, and, and how crucial that is. And I, I really value that we have experts like you, Beth, who spend their time in that environment component all the way up to the planetary health level from the individual and especially with all of your work at the organizational level and your leadership there to the plant to the planet level. I do find um, that there are some crucial intersections. So if we're gonna go to the global level, those other social determinants of health, I think are really key to moving planetary health forward. And one example actually came out um, that comes to mind is the UNDP put out a, in a report that gave me a lot of insights on this about fossil fuel subsidies and how going back 20 years ago or 30 years ago, energy subsidies, our personal energy and our household energy in most countries tends to be inexpensive because of how profoundly governments have subsidized over time. And so when we compare that social, de that determinant of health of the environment um, with things like income and wealth, uh, with energy and housing opportunities, what this case study showed uh, was as different countries tried to pull the policy levers to reduce those fossil fuel subsidies or to use policy and, and national budgetary dollars or even international development dollars to reduce carbon footprint. Some of the very careful balance with wealth and income that they needed to walk, particularly because an unanticipated outcome of pulling the lever too fast can be civil unrest and violence. And so public safety is a crucial social determinant of health. And when we're going to this global level and this national level, it intersects just as much with the environment as it does on a personal level, um, but that can be overwhelming. And, and nurses are often trained to have a deep understanding of the intersections of all of those determinants at the family level and maybe at the community level. And what an important opportunity to talk about. There really are these frameworks for how international development dollars have flowed from the United States to other countries um, for both public safety and health and wealth, but how that has incentivized decarbonizing or reduced carbon footprint in those decisions. Um, so, it's, it, I don't mean to make it overly complicated. Thinking about things at those inter-country and global level often isn't as intuitive to someone who's coming up through nursing training as it is on that individual family and community level, but it's very similar how that does tend to play out. Yeah, thank you. That's helpful. And, and um, it makes sense to me to think about that in levels, as you say, it's proximity, it's, you know, distance in a way, it's the size of the issue. And it makes sense that some of the same themes that we see, you know, individual, even within the individual's cellular and organ level um, through self, family, community, 
nation uh, ecosystem uh, that there are commonalities. Um, you know, and I do think that nurses do quite well with complexity, you know, because because oh, yeah. that's where we are. That's where we live. It's, it's never black and white. There's always these other circumstances. And, and I also will reflect that from the ongoing study that we do, that is the CHANT, Climate, Health, Climate and Health Tool, the, the number one reason for people not acting, because most of the respondents are con very concerned about climate and health, but when they don't act, the primary reason, and this has held true since we started in 2017, is I'm overwhelmed. And this is from choosing from a pick list of about 15 options. They can choose all of them. But the one that scores the highest again and again is I'm overwhelmed. And I think about that a lot. How can we acknowledge the complexity while simplifying what we can do and, and where we can start? Um, because we got to do both. Yeah, it's complex. And also we can do what we can do right now. Well, and I, this provides such insights just to have this conversation, Beth, and, and thank you for your work with the chant tool and for elucidating that. Um, and I think that does reinforce how much we need a framework. Um, as you say, we, we thrive in complexity. We, we often call it holistic. Um, it's that understanding the person in their context, in their complex context, and, and how to apply a prescription for help or a health behavior change or um, some therapeutic in that one individual's very complex context um, and how good we are at scaling that up. A go-to resource or an initial framework that may help sort of reduce some of those overwhelming feelings or that this is amorphous or ambiguous really is to look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, you know, they're very clear, um, they're very forthright, and, and I think it gives that intuitive initial framework or band-aid framework until we've really created a solid way to communicate this, to think about this, um, as to how nurses, it is our duty to address climate change. The how, what, when, where, why, and with whom um, continues to evolve and it evolves, it needs to evolve at a rapid pace. Um, but that's, I think, a really nice place to start to digest that global and international level of information um, and to reduce that feeling of overwhelmed. Yeah. That's a great call out. And, you know, it's something that I've talked with other people in other nations more than in the U.S. I've written a couple of papers on it. I spoke with the, with colleagues who, you know, at the U.N. Civil Society on uh, on SDG 11, you know, sustainable cities and communities. Um, and it really is a lovely framework. It was it was a work of genius that took several years for some very caring, I think, and uh, wise people to pull together. And I have thought about that. It's really not taught that much, I don't think, in the U.S., at least in, in nursing and probably probably medicine. But it's a great uh, great framework. And it's also the way it's broken down in those cool-looking tiles. It makes it seem digestible. <laughs> but it's far-reaching. Thank you for calling that out. Hey, I want to talk on one other thing, and I've taken enough of your time, but I know also that you're the editor of a journal. So, so tell our listeners about that. Yes. Well, I just really want to thank um, my colleague, Gordon Gillespie, um, who is serving as the interim editor-in-chief of the Journal of Emergency Nursing. Uh, so my first three-year term started in 2019, 
And I was truly honored to, to shepherd the dissemination and lead the rapid dissemination for emergency nurses and emergency clinicians of COVID-related information, mm -hmm. um, as well as all of the information that was timely and relevant to practice. Um, so that it was a joy every day. Um, I would wake up and, and in my own workflow, um, I was often checking to see what new manuscripts came in before I had my coffee or breakfast <laughs> because it was like a holiday gift. Mm -hmm. It was like St. Nick, what did you bring me this morning? Uh, <laughs> just to see all of these incredible ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I just have to say for anyone out there who is putting in a manuscript, whether it's your 200th um, or your first. Um, I hope you're proud because that is a lot of effort. And, you know, on the other side, that was always really appreciated. Um, one can't publish everything that comes in. Not everything's ready to publish when it comes in. Uh, but truly to put those ideas in paper and, and to be able to disseminate. Uh, we did have a really incredible environmental health issue. Um, that looked in particular at what was affecting the emergency sector. So uh, we had a case study on Lyme disease, uh, again, as those vector-borne diseases spread. Um, we had a, a really tremendous paper come in looking at a framework, again, for nurses to start to think about climate change um, from our colleagues at Harvard. Um, it, they came along with it with a case study of an older adult with a heat-related illness, mm -hmm. um, which, my goodness, it us being right now in the hottest decade on record and just coming off a, a heat wave, um, how mm -hmm. timely and relevant um, was that to, to disseminate to our emergency colleagues? So um, yes, uh, it was such a joy. That was my first term. Um, and again, just want to express my gratitude again to, to my colleague who stepped into an interim dean and an interim editor at the same time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, while while I was able to really focus on this work in Washington, that's terrific. Wonderful to have supportive colleagues and share the load and and help help uh, lift you know this opportunity for you, which is a, a life changing opportunity. I can I can imagine. And well, I, uh, yeah. if I could wish for everyone to be in a specialty as I have um, as an emergency nurse, I don't know that I ever intended to leave stretcher side nursing in the first place. And I truly, um, you know, I, I'd had my first business a bit as a side gig and some of my colleagues really noticed how I was able to present and get the attention of folks in the C-suite. And, you know, my dearest colleagues were, I, I love sturdy IVs. Yeah, it was so gratifying to to do the the fluid and acid-based management mm -hmm. and quite frankly, bring people back to life. Um, but my colleagues really surrounded me with love and support and said, you know what, we need to lift you up in, into this role because mm -hmm. the impact you could have and the impact I always felt I had at the bedside was amazing, but uh, really felt colleagues kind of say, we've got this at the bedside. We need you to go get this at the organization level. And then really felt that again, with we've got this at the organization level, mm -hmm. we need to step into this national editor role. Mm -hmm. And then truly felt this again of, we need you to step into this um, this role at NAM. So um, if any, if we could 
there's that meme of you know people tend to like they're just lifting others up um mm -hmm. in succession that's always been how my career has felt and and i truly wish that for every nurse um to be able to have your colleagues say wow you've got this really unique skill set and approach and we're going to help lift you into where you can make this giant impact for all of us um so just uh may we be that for each other and and it's been a real privilege to be able to be that for others as as the career goes as my career goes on well jessica that just couldn't be a finer way to wrap up as you offer your own experience and um, skill and insights and and remind us the importance of passing that on, passing that on to others, to the next generation, to our our peers, colleagues, friends and uh, partners. So so thank you so much for that. Is there anything else you'd like to say today? You know, and you might want to edit this into a, an earlier place. I just want to re-motivate and reinvigorate for those of us who really focus on environmental health interventions and environmental health nursing, or are really committed to continuing to integrate it into our care, whether that's patient care, organization care, planet care. This matters, this is important, and I'm really proud of all of us who, who continue to work on this and, and improve this area of nursing and health practice. was wonderful to catch up with Jessica Kastner and hear about her inspiring career and her clarity about the crucial links between environment and health. Thank you all for listening and please tune in for upcoming podcasts. We will be starting a series highlighting faculty members in the nursing school commitment for the Nurses Climate Challenge. Check us out at environ.org and please subscribe, comment, and share the podcast. Talk to you next time. Thank you.